Hey, we're closing out the book of Romans tonight, um, looking at the last couple chapters. Um, this book series has been really beneficial for me. Uh, I hope it's been beneficial for you as well. Just studying uh, God's Word, studying the book of Romans together. I still am in awe of what God did a few weeks ago when um, some of you came forward and you accepted Christ and you dedicated your life to Jesus and made a decision to follow after Him. And so that's what I'll always remember through this book series um, and, you know, I hope just generally going through it, you've been encouraged, you've been edified, the Holy Spirit's done a work in your lives and in your hearts as we've studied uh, through this book. And so we'll uh, start a new uh, series next Monday night. I'll let you know what that is later in the week over social media. But for tonight, we're starting in Romans chapter 13. Uh, before we dive in, how about we just settle our hearts and pray one more time, and then we'll get down into God's Word. Uh, God, we do just come before you and we ask that you would be here, that you would uh, visit us, Lord, that you would speak to us, that it not be my words, but that it would be your words as we study God's word. And we just pray together that you would do a work in all of our hearts, Lord. Uh, I pray for those of us who have come to uh, young adults tonight, maybe just with something on their mind, whether it be with work or with school or with relationship issues, or things going on at home. Uh, we all have our own stuff that we're bringing in to young adults tonight that I, bra- I pray right now, Lord, you would just kind of calm that, calm that stress or that burden or uh, th- that those tensions in our minds, Lord, that we would be able just to give it to you. We would just be able to think clearly and just see you and learn from you now as we study your word together. Uh, my heart for tonight is that we just continue to grow in you, Lord, in our relationships with you and in our relationships with each other. So be glorified tonight as we study your word now. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. So tonight, as I mentioned, we're finishing out the book of Romans. Uh, last week, we talked about being a living sacrifice. What does that mean? Um, A living sacrifice is someone who, in view of all that God has done for you, now you want to give your life uh, back to God in the sense of living for Him. All of your thoughts and your behavior and your actions is in view of God's mercy for you. And so you're just like, God, because of all you've done for me, I just want to live for you. I want to be a vessel of your goodness to other people. Uh, My heart is yours. My life is yours. My thoughts are yours. So help me just to live for you in view of all that you have already done for me. Listen, this is essential. We need to understand this because we're coming toward the end of Romans. If you haven't picked up on this by now, listen, the first uh, 75% of the book of Romans is all about what God has done for you. All about what God has done for us. Dying on the cross for our sins. Uh, By grace we are saved through our faith, not of our works so that no one can boast. Everything up into this point, Romans chapters 1 through 8, is all about what God's done for you. Adopting you as sons and daughters into His family because of His grace and mercy, not because of our works. No one is good. No one, uh, by their own works and by their own merit, deserves right relationship with God. Our right relationship with God comes through our faith in the work that Jesus did on the cross for us. Everybody get this? So this is Romans 1 through 8, all about God's mercy toward us, all about what God has done for us, dying for us, adopting us into his family when we put our trust in him. And then Romans 9 through 
really 9 through 14, is all about, okay, because of God's mercy in your life, because of all of the things he has done for you in bringing you into his family, now what are you going to do about it? Not to earn favor or earn relationship with God that's already been accomplished through your faith in Jesus Christ and his work on the cross. Now it is, how are you going to behave? How are you going to live with your attitudes and your thoughts and your actions? One through eight about what God has done for you, nine through 14. Now we have responsibility as believers to represent Jesus well in our schools, in our workplaces, wherever we go. And so we're kind of continuing that same thought in Romans 13 and 14. Um, We're going to finish our series by focusing on these two chapters. And here's how I want to kind of break down these two two chapters. We're going to be answering two questions. Number one, how should I view government authority? Paul talks about this. And number two, how should I view my personal liberties? We'll talk about what that means, what personal liberties are. But here's how Paul just continues this trend of thought. Listen, because of what God has done for you, here are some things we need to uh, just keep in mind as we now live our lives for the Lord. How should I view government authority and how should I view my personal liberties? So let's tackle the first question, how should I view government authority? Look at uh, chapter 13, verse 1. And Paul says this in chapter 13, verse 1, in addressing this first question, he says, Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Then do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. All right, pause there with me. So how should I view government authority? Paul is very straightforward and is very simple in his command to Christians that we are to submit to whatever governing authority tells us to do. And this has generated a, a lot of discussion, a lot of, a, a lot of debate. Uh, Paul's very just very simplistic here. He says, hey, God has ordained government. Uh, government is from the Lord. And so you should submit to government. And if you don't submit and you resist government, um, there will be punishment and God's judgment will be upon you. And this has uh, kind of uh, brought about a lot of different discussion, a lot of different debate, because many of us, understandably, we wrestle with different questions regarding government authority. Uh, I don't have time to touch on every scenario or every question Um, but I'm going to more so just present um, basic principles and you can pass your questions through these principles and hopefully that'll be helpful to you. Um, But here are some of the more popular questions that Romans 13 has kind of triggered uh, within this debate. Well, what about corrupt government? Okay, what about government that is oppressive? Are Christians just supposed to submit to oppressive government? All right, another question is, well, what about civil disobedience? Is there ever a right time or an appropriate time uh, to resist government? Um, is it biblical ever? We're, you know, that's a question that is often presented. Uh, what if government asks me to violate my conscience? Or what if government asks me to violate something that is clearly uh, presented in Scripture? Am I able to biblically resist government then? Uh, what should my attitude be towards someone elected to office that I didn't vote for? Okay, these are some of the popular questions that Romans 13 triggers because Paul, he doesn't give any of those qualifiers. He just says, God uh, has ordained government 
and we should submit to government. And so people have kind of tossed those questions around. These are legit questions. Uh, but first, why did Paul write this? We have to kind of understand his time, his culture, his day and age. Two probable reasons why Paul is writing this. Um, this is the start of the church here. And so probable reason number one is that many people are getting saved at this time. And the gospel message is asking people to not conform to the ways of the world. Right, we just talked about that last week. Don't conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So it is sometimes understood that people in Paul's day are taking this to an extreme level. That everything, you know, I'm not going to conform to the world. Everything about the world is bad. And so people in Paul's day actually stopped and avoided different institutions that we would say are God-ordained. Uh, people stopped marrying. Uh, people stopped, you know, they, they, they saw sex as wrong. Um, they saw uh, government as wrong. Um, so clearly, uh, marriage was ordained by God. Uh, sex was created by God. Uh, government was ordained by God. Okay, these aren't bad things, but people took this principle so extreme, I'm not going to conform to the ways of the world, so they started seeing all of these institutions as worldly. So I'm not getting married. I'm resisting government. Okay, so Paul writes to them. He's like, hey, listen, don't, don't do that. Okay, don't, don't resist government. Submit to government. Okay, that's why he even says, I think it's in verse, uh, verse 7, uh, pay your taxes. Okay, um, that was another issue, probable cause number two as to why Paul wrote this, because actually in AD 58, there was a revolt against taxes. And so the Christian world is seeing this revolt against oppressive Rome the uh, heavy taxes, okay, so people are revolting against the heavy tax, uh, people aren't marrying and uh, resisting government, and Paul's like, okay, hold on, like, let's just calm down here, okay? Don't resist the government, submit to the government, pay your taxes, okay? So that is kind of the, uh, the atmosphere in which Paul is writing. Uh, so looking at Paul's political climate, and transferring it to our political climate and looking at what Paul says here and transferring it to you know, our political environment. Okay, it's not, it's not the easiest thing. Uh, but here are three basic principles I'm going to give you that I think are wise to live by concerning our attitude towards government. Okay, so the personal questions you have, take them through the grid of these principles and I think that it hopefully should be beneficial. The first principle is this, recognize that God has ordained governing authorities and we're all called to submit. Okay, so like in Paul's day, they were seeing government as something that was worldly. I'm not going to conform to the ways of the world, so I'm going to resist oppressive government. Okay, listen, principle in Paul's day and principle in our day is recognize that government is God-ordained. Okay, government is God-ordained. Um, this is something God has established. And actually in verses 3 and 4, Paul gives two reasons as to why he established government. Number one, to protect, and number two, to serve. Government is God-ordained to protect us and to serve us. Okay, so government is God-ordained. We are called to, as far as it depends on us, to submit to government. Okay, then the question becomes, well, what about corrupt governments? And it's a good, legit question. What about corrupt governments? What if they tell me to do something that violates Scripture or violates my conscience? Uh, am I not allowed to resist? Because in verse 2, Paul says, whoever resists authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. 
But what about corrupt government? Well, here's principle number two. Listen, realize that our ultimate allegiance is to God, not government. Our ultimate allegiance is to God, not government. Okay, there are exceptions for disobedience, for civil disobedience, if and when government is asking us to violate scripture or violate our biblical conscience. Several examples in the Old Testament. I'm only going to give one. Many of you remember the story in Exodus chapter 1. Exodus chapter 1, Pharaoh, king of Egypt, uh, the Israelites are living in the land of Egypt, being uh, oppressed by the Egyptian government, if you will. And Pharaoh goes to all of the Hebrew midwives and he says, anytime an Israelite female is giving birth, if it comes out as a boy, kill it. And the Bible says that the Hebrew midwives feared God more than they feared the Pharaoh. And so they didn't obey Pharaoh. They resisted his command and they didn't obviously kill these innocent baby boys. Why? Because God's authority is higher than any earthly authority. So we must have ultimate allegiance to the Lord and not to our government. So in, the case, the mid, in this case, the midwives were going to obey the higher, the higher authority. God obviously clearly forbids the murder of innocent life. So they resist. However, in most cases, if the government's not asking us to violate the higher authority of God, uh, then we're, just called, we're called to submit. We're called to submit. Um, point number three, uh, remember God's in control. Okay? Ultimately, remember that God is in control. This is what the book of Daniel says in Daniel 2.21. God controls the course of world events. He removes kings and sets up other kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the scholars. Isaiah the prophet wrote this in Isaiah 40.23. He brings, talking about God, he brings princes to nothing and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. Scarcely are they planted, scarcely sown. Scarcely has their stem taken root in the earth when he blows on them and they wither and the tempest carries them off like stubble. Okay, ultimately, it's important for us to to realize God is sovereign. God is in control. God's in control of government. God is in control of our lives. Any season we find ourselves in, God is in control. Okay, we're not called to fear government, but to fear God. He's bigger than any government. Praise the Lord. Okay, so no matter who comes into power, no matter who is in authority, maybe you didn't vote for them, okay, your attitude should respect the office, okay? God has ordained government. People corrupt government all the time. That doesn't mean that the institution is wrong. The same thing goes with uh, the institution of sex, okay? God created sex. Uh, People abuse sex all the time. It doesn't make sex wrong, okay? It makes the abuse of it wrong. So we have to divorce our mindset of corrupt power from the institution. God has created government. He's ordained government to protect and serve us. Just because people corrupt government or abuse government and their authority doesn't make the institution wrong. So remember, God's in control. Uh, God is ultimately sovereign. So pass your personal questions and your personal struggles through these three questions when it comes to your attitude towards the government. Uh, chapter 14 uh, is where we park it to the other question, how should I view my liberty? So I'm going to give you two main principles to live by um, in answering this question. How should I view my personal liberties? Uh, but first, what do I mean by Christian liberties? Uh, there are some behaviors in the Bible that are explicitly called sin. Okay, being drunk, uh, murder, uh, lying, 
Okay, sex outside of marriage. Uh, There are a few things in Scripture uh, that are very black and white. This is sin. This is not sin. Okay, this is sin. Don't do this. Okay, so there there are a couple things like murder, lying, uh, rape, all of that stuff. Very black and white. The Bible explicitly calls it sin, explicitly calls it wrong. And then there are other activities that are a little bit more gray. Okay, the Bible doesn't have a Bible verse for all of those gray areas. Uh, There's uh, things in Scripture uh, that are not uh, expressly forbidden. And so, you know, the questions become, what about this and what about that? You know, I can't find a Bible verse for it, so is it okay? And most of these activities revolve around social do's and don'ts, okay? Like, is it okay to wear certain types of clothes? Uh, What about tattoos? Uh, What about uh, smoking or social drinking or recreational gambling? Uh, viewing certain movies, okay, uh, a lot of these questions that Christians have, that Christians have, and there's there's just no Bible verse about it, and we're searching the pages through Bible verses, like, okay, can I can I listen to Drake? Drake, where is Drake? Luke thirteen, okay, Drake, yeah, okay. So some of these questions, like, is it okay to listen to this kind of music or watch these kind of movies or get a tattoo or smoke or recreationally drink? Okay, some of these questions we we can't seem to find black and white Bible verses on. And so here, here is uh, something that Paul talks about here in Romans chapter 4, what we call Christian liberties, okay? Some of these gray areas that don't necessarily have a Bible verse. Um, and so Paul talks about that. Look, look at uh, verse 12 of chapter 14. Verse 12, chapter 14, Paul says, So then each of us shall give account of himself to God. Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather resolve this, not to put a stumbling block or a cause to fall in our brother's way. I know and am convinced by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself, but to him who considers anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. Yet if your brother is grieved because of your food, you are no longer walking in love. Don't destroy with your food the one for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let your good be spoken of as evil, for the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. For he who serves Christ in these things is acceptable to God and approved by men. Therefore, let us pursue the things which make for peace and the things by which one may edify another. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All things indeed are pure, but it is evil for the man who eats with offense." It is good neither to eat meat nor drink wine nor do anything by which your brother stumbles or is offended or is made weak. All right, pause there with me. So here's the dispute in Paul's day. All right, us Christians, we dispute about other things like tattoos and drinking and movies and certain music. Okay, this was the dispute in Paul's day, food. Food. What in the world? Like food. That's weird, isn't it? All right, well, we have to put our minds back into Jewish culture of the day. Food was, an inveri- was a very controversial topic at the time, especially between Jewish believers and Gentile believers. Okay, so food was the thing they argued about. Why? Well, because in the marketplace, in Roman society, they would sacrifice an animal, uh, cook up the meat. Before they would sell the produce, they would actually offer it to their gods. Okay, so a Christian goes into the marketplace and most Jewish believers now in Jesus, they would buy the meat and then say, wait, I can't buy this meat. This was offered to false gods. So I'm not going to eat this, eat this meat. 
And then Gentile Christians were coming along and they were buying the meat and eating the meat and Jewish Christians were calling them out like, hey, you can't eat that meat. That was, that was dedicated and offered to false gods and false idols. And the Gentile Christians are going like, meat is meat, man. Come on. Like, it, it was dedicated to false gods, but we know that they're false. We know that these are false idols. Okay, so nothing happened to the actual meat. Meat is meat. Okay, meat is fine to eat. And they started judging each other. Okay, and they started looking down on each other saying, hey, you're less Christian than me because I'm not eating the meat. And you shouldn't be eating the meat either. And Gentile Christians are going like, listen, meat is meat, man. Like, it's fine. We don't even believe in these guys. They aren't even real. Okay, so stop judging me. You're being a judgmental Christian. Don't judge me. Don't judge me. So this was the dispute. And they were looking down on each other. They were calling each other out. They were arguing about this. And Paul starts off in 14 verses 1 and 2. He says, listen, don't argue about this. Don't argue about this. Paul basically is saying here in the passages we just read, listen, if it violates your conscience, then don't do it, he tells one. But then he tells the other, but if they are offended by it, then don't eat in front of them. Okay, consider others. Don't use your freedom, your liberty, and just flaunt it in front of the one who's offended by it because it might stumble them. And if they, if you persuade them and they eat the meat, now it's violating their conscience. That is a sin for them because it's violating their conscience, even though it doesn't violate yours. So principle number one, when it comes to our liberties, putting this back in our culture with our disputes, principle number one, live with others in mind. Your relationship with Christ is not all about you. Sometimes we get this mind, okay, it's just me and Jesus, me and Jesus, Jesus, yes, me and you, me and you. Okay, your relationship with Jesus is not just about you. Your attitude and your behavior, whether you realize it or not, it affects other people. So what you do affects how other people not only view you, but how they view the Lord, because you are the Lord in that to them. You're a Christian, you're a follower of Christ. So when you put that label on you, I'm a follower of Christ, and then you're doing things that might stumble or offend someone else, they're looking at you and seeing the Lord through you. So live with others in mind, Paul says. When it comes to your liberties, consider others around you. Because here's our key verse, verse 12. Verse 12, so then each of us shall give account of himself to God. Verse 13, therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather resolve this. Okay, resolve this not to put a stumbling block or a cause to fall in our brother's way. The ESV puts it this way, decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. Okay, the very thing that you might feel the freedom to do might be the very thing that violates someone else's conscience. So be careful that your example doesn't lead someone else to violate their conscience because for them, that would be a sin. Uh, Verse 13 says, do not put a stumbling block. Stumbling block in the Greek, one word, and it literally means obstacle. Obstacle. You can either be one or two things to others around you. You can either be an obstacle or a conduit. An obstacle or a conduit. An obstacle gets in the way. A conduit is a connecting line. And you can either be an obstacle to people or a conduit to people. You can either be an obstacle, someone who gets in the way, keeping someone from growing in Christ, 
through your example, or you can be a conduit, someone who is a funnel or a channel, bringing someone closer to the Lord through your example. You'll either be one of two things, an obstacle or a conduit. Which one will you be? So principle number two, learn to be a conduit, not an obstacle. In your relationship with the Lord and in your relationships with other people, learn to be a conduit, a channel, a connecting line from people to the Lord through your example. Do not let your example be a stumbling block or a hindrance or an obstacle. You will either be a help to people or a hindrance to people. You'll either be a help to people in growing in the Lord, knowing the Lord, or, you'll be, or you will be a hindrance to people, a stumbling block in the way where people can't clearly see Christ because your attitude and your behavior is really blurry. Like, your attitude and your behavior doesn't properly reflect the God you say you serve, so I'm kind of confused here. I don't want what you have in the Lord because you're doing and talking like and acting like the rest of the world who is in opposition to God, opposition to the world, and empty and joyless, hopeless. So don't be a hindrance, be a help. Don't be an obstacle, be a conduit. Quick example uh, of my personal conviction. I shared this story a little bit over a year ago, okay? Personal conviction. Again, personal conviction. I'll say it again. Personal conviction. It does not have to be yours, okay? My personal conviction. Uh, I don't see rated R movies. Again, my personal conviction. Uh, when I got married, my wife and I had this agreement, had an, an agreement. It was a shared, uh, a shared uh, kind of mindset when it comes to movies that we both uh, have a conviction of not seeing R-rated movies. Again, our personal conviction does not have to be yours. You're not going to find a Bible verse concerning movies uh, because in this day there were none, okay? So when it comes to certain movies... Um, something that the Lord has placed again on my heart is no R-rated movies. Again, my personal conviction. Um, through the years of obviously watching movies, and I love movies, um, you know, I came just to realize wasn't much beneficial and edifying in those kind of movies, so I'm just going to not watch R-rated movies altogether. Again, my personal conviction. A couple years ago, I think it was in college, it was like 2013, and a cool movie came out, it's called Lone Survivor. Um, and real true life story uh, about a reconnaissance mission, uh, Navy SEALs, um, and you know, real true story. Uh, a lot of good heroes, valiant heroes, died in the process of this. And so they made a movie about it called Lone Survivor with Mark Wahlberg. Seemed like a really cool movie. I really wanted to see the movie, um, but I didn't. And you know, it's good. It's okay. It's not. It's not the nerdiest thing in the world to research movies before you go and see it. And so I was looking up this movie and. Uh, saw that there were over 150 F-bombs in the movie. Over 150. Um, so that was just something, again, my personal conviction, uh, I don't want 150 F-bombs in my spirit. I don't want 150 F-bombs in, in my mind. Uh, I know how uh, malleable and moldable and impressionable my mind is when I listen to certain things or watch certain things. And so I don't want to underestimate that. And so that was something um, 
looked it up, I'm like 150 F-bombs, I don't want to see that. I don't want that to be in my spirit. Now listen, um, can someone do justice to that true life story, um, you know, with the guys on the battlefield running around saying drats, you know, or uh, fudge, you know, after, after, you know, missing a shot or something? Okay, okay, probably not, okay? So if they're going to do justice to the actual movie, I understand language is going to be in their real life situations. Obviously, reality is people use that kind of language, but I have a decision to make. Uh, I don't want that much language in my mind or in my spirit. I don't want my speech, I don't want my own speech to, to reflect that. I don't want me to be using those words. Okay, th- those words don't properly reflect the God I serve. Okay, so if I don't want my speech to talk like that and reflect that, um, then I don't want those words in my mind because whatever comes out of my mouth starts in my mind. Okay? What, however we talk, whatever language or words we use, it starts in our mind. And so I just didn't want to feed my mind with that amount of language. Again, my personal conviction. Okay, so, uh, another reason uh, why I uh, wouldn't you know, see an R-rated movie is, is for this very reason, I don't want to be an obstacle or a stumbling block to other people. Okay, so here's just a, a perfect example. Um, if I go to the movies, you know, backing up a little bit, I, I often serve with our, our youth. I know many of you, just like me, we've helped out at our, at our youth summer camps, okay? With our high schoolers, with our middle schoolers. Okay, I love going to the movies. Um, and so if I'm seeing a movie, this didn't really happen. I'm just presenting a possible off-chance scenario. I go to the movie, see some uh, high schoolers, see some middle schoolers uh, coming, uh, buying their ticket. I'm going into uh, the movie as well. And they see me, oh, Pastor Austin, great to see you here. Oh, great to see you, little Johnny. Uh, how was summer camp? Oh, summer camp was awesome, man. Loved it. God was, God was good. God was moving. Hey, what, what movie are you seeing, Austin? Oh, I'm seeing Deadpool. Aren't, isn't there a lot of sex and language in that movie? Yep. See you on Sunday. Okay. All right. That's just, that just, is that not odd to anyone else? Okay. Now you might say, well, you're a pastor. Okay. That makes sense. Okay. But Paul, most, most of these liberties, this isn't a pastor, non-pastor issue. Okay. Paul's writing to general believers here, asking us to be conscious and aware and ask ourselves these questions before Seeing movies before going to this place or throwing back a drink. Okay, alcohol has become something that our generation has seen as so trendy and so hip. And I'm not trying to put legalistic boundaries on you. I'm just saying, ask these questions and be conscious that your relationship with Jesus isn't just him and you. It involves other people and you're a reflection of Jesus Christ. So when, especially youth, you know, uh, when I, I remember when I was in middle school and high school, I really looked up to my counselors, like at camp. Um, whether you think you're cool or not, a lot of younger people, they think you're really cool. Okay, so what you do will either be a help or a hindrance to them. So again, I don't want to put my convictions on you. Uh, these are things that you had to just prayerfully consider and talk through, but some of us aren't even asking these questions. Because we just don't want to give up our freedoms. We love our freedoms too much. Listen, here is the key. Love other people more than you love your liberties. Love other people more than you love your liberties. But oftentimes we love our liberties too much 
and we don't consider the people that we might be stumbling in the process. Love people more than you love your liberties. So just be conscious, uh, conscious be, be aware of who you're with, what environment you place yourself in, because you can either be an obstacle or a conduit for people growing in the Lord. St. Augustine, or Augustine, can you say it one, one way or the other? He said this, In the essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. But in all things, charity. Okay, in the essentials, unity. In the non-essentials, liberty. Okay, that's why Paul starts this chapter off. He says, I don't want you to be arguing about the non-essentials, the things that we might have some freedom and liberty in, but in all things, charity. So take scope of your liberties, pray through them, and live with others in mind with the goal of being a conduit, not an obstacle. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. God, I pray that you would just help us in this area, Lord. Thank you for the different freedoms and the liberties that we might feel we have, Lord. Um, We're saved by grace, uh, not by um, our good works. And so ultimately, that's what we fall upon. We fall upon your grace and we fall upon your mercy. But in the process, Lord, because of your mercy, because of your grace, Lord, we want to be conduits of your love to other people. We don't want to be a hindrance, Lord. So I pray that you would just constantly just be checking our hearts, be checking our minds, Lord, so that going into situations or with other people, Lord, we would just be more aware and more conscious about being a a true and proper reflection of you. Uh, May our love for others be greater than our love for our liberties, Lord. And may we just not be argumentative about these liberties and these freedoms, but may we be united in Jesus. Uh, May you just individually speak to our hearts, Lord. Uh, We're all in different seasons. We're all growing and maturing at different rates in you. And so I pray that wherever we are, Lord, whether we're baby Christians, whether we're mature Christians, we've known you for a while, Lord, I just pray that you would you just minister to the season of life we find ourselves in. I just pray that you would continue to encourage us in you, Lord. I just thank you for this book that you've given us, this book of Romans, just how powerful and how life-changing and encouraging it is. So I pray that you would continue to write these things on our hearts, Lord, so that we might just go out to a lost world who doesn't know you, that we would be those conduits, that we would be those channels, that we'd be that connecting line from someone coming to know you or growing in you and maturing in you. So just help us as believers to consider others, to love others above all else, to not fight about petty stuff, but just to love people, to love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. And I just ask that you now go before us in our work week uh, when we're, if we're at school. I just pray that you would continue to encourage our hearts, Lord. Baptize us in your Holy Spirit. Just renew our minds, Lord. Uh, we love you and we so thank you for loving us though we don't deserve it, God. You're so good and your love is so faithful, Lord. And we thank you for your faithfulness to us. So as we go about our week, I pray that you just be with us, Lord, that you go before us, that we would seek ways to honor and glorify you in what we do and what we say and what we think, Lord.
It's in Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, amen. Amen.